and welcome listeners to How to Win Friends and Influenza, the podcast. I'm your host, Lily. Now, this podcast is all about careers in medicine. And on that note, people often think medicine follows a set path. You you start off with the struggle to pass the entrance exams into medical school, and then you move on to the interesting contrast of endless partying and endless social isolation around exam times that is medical school itself. After that, you go into the first two intern and resident years in the hospital as finally a paid member of society. And throughout, you'll probably get that misinformed question from well-intentioned inquisitors at parties. So what kind of doctor do you want to be? Do you want to specialize or just be a GP? But medical life doesn't have to follow this exact route. There are many left field alternatives you can throw into the mix, things outside a hospital or a clinic or a ward. And today's guest has successfully done that. So I'm really happy to introduce on the show, Dr. Renee, who's had uh, excellent foray into medicine itself, acting and education in medicine. So welcome, Dr. Renee. Thank you very much, Lily. Lovely to be here. (laughs) Excellent. Now, let's start off with what you've done. There's so much stuff and it's so exciting that I think I have to leave it to you to describe. (laughs) Probably more because it's very confusing and random (laughs) than because it's that exciting. Um, So what have I done? So you're saying, what what do I do now for work? Yeah. So if you ask me what I do for work, what I get paid for, um, I'm a medical doctor. I work as a locum in emergency, geries and pal care. I am an educator. I teach at um, a couple of universities in Sydney, and I also help to run an organization that teaches communication in healthcare across Australasia. Um, And then on top of that, I'm also an actor, performer. Um, So I do a lot of TV and film and theater work, um, and that is paid, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, And I also have an educational technology company that I run, which specializes in education and health um, and bespoke ways to engage people. And then I work as a consultant um, and that's in areas of communication engagement and um, sort of marketing and branding. So that is quite a lot to fit onto one resume, but I just have to say one of my personal favorites is seeing you on a food show on SBS TV, and that is really, really awesome. Do you have any personal favorites out of all of those, out of all that multitasking? Uh, It's really funny. Everyone always assumes that, you know, really, I just was waiting to become a famous actor. And once (laughs) I was in acting, surely all of the other stuff was really unimportant. Um, I think I didn't know when I started. I never wanted to be an actor. I never Mm. thought I'd ever do that. I mean, I'm Asian. We don't believe that those things are options. You know, being a doctor is very reliable and responsible. Um, And I loved it. Like my intern year was probably one of the most brilliant years of my life. So the only reason I took a year off was because I had just studied for 18 years straight plus Mm. my intern year. And I thought, you know, everyone always has breaks. I I should have a break. So I thought I would take a break. And in that process, um, the acting, singing, dancing I've been doing since I was five for fun um, kind of came into play. Um, I got my first gig on, uh, I think it was White Collar Blue, which is a show from a very long time ago. Um, and then, yeah, that kind of just kept going. So it was a bit accidental. And then similarly from that, my acting brought me into an educational space, which was Pam McLean, which is how I ended up running Pam McLean and teaching communication in healthcare. And then that branched into the ed tech work and my consulting. Wow. So and it's been very random. Yeah. But it sounds like an amazing journey. And the biggest question that people will have is um, with only 24 hours in a day, how do you put all of this stuff in? Do you have one of those time turners from Harry Potter? Uh, sometimes I, th- I think I must because I don't remember what I did. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I work, I work a lot. I won't lie, but I love what I do. Um, I've always loved my work. And 
I think that's partly where I've ended up where I have. I, I only do things I love. That's kind of one of my rules. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't work in anything I don't care about. And so it's kind of moved me into these different spaces. Um, and therefore, when you're working in something you love, it doesn't feel like work. If I'm realistic, um, whether I'm physically working or I'm thinking about working or I'm answering emails about working, I would average close to a 80 to 100 hour week every week, probably for the last, I don't know how many years of my life. I don't want to tell you how old I am. Um, <laughs> but if you ask me how many week, hours a week I feel like I'm working, mm. it's probably more like maybe 20 to 30. Right. So when you really love something, it doesn't feel like a chore. No, and I think it's, it's hard work, but it's something you want to do. You know, I mean, running triathlons is hard work, but if you want to do it, then yeah. it's totally worth it, you know. Yeah. Now, philosophically speaking, there are probably two common problems people have. One is either they don't really love anything and so they don't even have that passion or they love too many things and they have to somehow juggle between them or choose between them. So tackling them one at a time, what do you suggest for students or junior doctors who maybe haven't found something they're passionate about, don't have a specialty or area that they really love? I think that, um, so yeah, so I, I recently did a, a big talk for AMSA um, with um, their sort of leadership group. And so their similar question was asked. And I said, it's really funny that you think you don't care about anything. It's not actually possible. Um, what you don't know yet is that you might care about something, you might not be good at it. Mm-hmm. I think a medical thing yeah. that we find is that surely if we really love something, we should be good at it. And if we're not good at it or we haven't spent a lot of time on it, Therefore, we, it can't be the thing that we love. Um, the other way they go about it is, I don't know what I love because I don't really love anything. Well, you know, it's it's okay to not be extremely passionate about a particular topic or role. There are still going to be things you love. You might love being outdoors. You might love being around people. You might love eating food, right? Those are things that can guide you towards finding ways to do other things that still support what you love without you having to be, I love critiquing food. I just love eating food. You know, it turns into something else. Yeah. I love sharing stories. It means I might turn into a vlogger. You know, it doesn't mean I want to be a vlogger. <laughs> and so I think we kind of mistake that sometimes yeah. that there has to be this really strong intention and really strong outcome. And you have to have a skill in it for it to be something you can love. Um, and that's not true. So that's what I would say to the first one. So the love kind of comes before the occupation or or all of that sort of stuff. That's right. And I think sometimes it's about just being okay with just trying things. Um, Mm -hmm. Once again, this comes back to that you don't have to be great at it to decide you want to do it, you know, because actually you won't know. And sometimes being bad at things makes you love it even more because you've actually got something to work towards and something you can like strive for, you can achieve, you can share with people. Being brilliant at something is actually probably quite boring a lot of the time. (laughs) Like Michael Schumacher and Roger Federer don't get to hang around and be like, oh yeah, how are you feeling about your work? Because I'm finding it really hard too. There's, you know, there isn't a lot of like (laughs) collaborative talk there. Um, So yes, actually being an expert at something doesn't give you a lot of of joy Mm. a lot of the time. Yeah, and if you're an expert, more pessimistically, the only way you can go is down. But if you're terrible, you can only go up. (laughs) That's right, guys. Choose something terrible and just work at it. Right. And now the complete opposite of that problem is someone who has so many passions, but in life you have limited time, limited resources. What do you do with all these crazy decisions? Any advice? Yeah, so I, I, I don't really believe that anyone really has that many passions. I think you maybe haven't worked out what matters most to you because you haven't had to. So you get to enjoy a lot of things. Enjoyment is very different to being mm. passionate about something. Okay. Passion is about choosing some, but something that matters enough to you that you would compromise, that you would give something up for, that you would fight for it. Enjoyment is I love 
traveling. I love reading books. I love swimming, you know, in the ocean. Mm. I love, you know, th- that's enjoyment. That's lovely. You know, I love acting. I love cycling. I love, so I want to do all of those things. That's great. But that's different to actually having passion for something because when push comes to shove, if things, if the shit hits the fan, excuse my French, um, are you still going to try to make it work? Yeah. And that's when you know you're passionate about something. And that's why I think when most people say that, what they mean is they found lots of things they enjoy or they're good at and they haven't worked out which one they should do. And you might choose the one that you're best at because that's actually the safest. You might choose the one that you do a lot because it's the easiest or you might choose the one that you're most passionate about. But to say, you you know, I have so many things, passions, mm. it's probably not... It's probably more reflection on where you're at in your life and what you've thought about those things rather than the fact that you do have that many passions. I only have one passion, right? I do a lot of stuff. But my passion is to help people be the best version of who they are. Mm. That's my passion. Yeah. Right? Everything else is a bit incidental. Um, And so in my medicine, I try to do that. In my education, I try to do that. In my consulting work, I try to do that. You know, the reason I have an ed tech company is to give people better opportunities to learn. In my acting, in fact, it's all about being, exploring another human being and working out how how to make how to how to understand that human being and make that human being feel feel valuable you know and feel valuable to the people watching yeah so that's kind of what i do that's my passion yep i just happen to be all these random things by name (laughs) so that's really awesome because there are a couple of really interesting things there firstly the idea that uh passion is what you're willing to suffer for Mm. not just oh what you're willing to you know swim in the ocean but but if a shark came that you don't want to do it anymore so it's more like what you're willing to put the work in so you love it despite hardships yeah um and secondly you're sort of not defined by your occupation as such it's um what your occupation lets you do so your passion is you know helping people become the best version and it's not a prescriptive thing like oh therefore i have to do medicine because i am defined by medicine it's just one of the ways in which your you know philosophy can be fulfilled so when people think of it that way you're a lot more flexible because in that way you could do acting you could do medicine you could be a motivational speaker um i don't know you could be like a chair salesman helping people find the best chairs (laughs) to improve their posture i don't know something like this so then suddenly life becomes a lot more flexible it does yeah and it actually becomes more meaningful because everything you do can have a value everything you do can matter right and you're less likely to be disappointed if if you're kind of open like that i mean the difference is everyone has different things they care about Mm. but i often said um so i've done speak i've done a lot of speaking for medical students for Mm. you know doctors but also for actors and i you know i said to them look if you just want to make a lot of money and be famous that's fine make that your passion Mm. i will do anything i can to be famous then don't choose the roles that give you the amazing characters but five people are going to see them get on home and away you know, but you'll feel good about being on a home and away because what you really want to do is have everyone know your name. Yeah. And if you know that, then it doesn't, no one can judge your decisions when you know why you've made them. Yeah. And that's really different, I think, to the way most people live in the world. Okay. Now let's talk about um, what you just mentioned, which was before home and away, which was <laughs> um, education. So um, you do a couple of things like helping students with simulations, helping students. Um, you know, throughout uni, what if someone wants to go into medical education? What sort of options are out there? Um, there's quite a few now. So I work in a few different contexts. I teach at Sydney University with the medical students, yep. and then I work at the Pam McLean Centre, and we teach communication pretty much across healthcare. Mm. So we do everything from students through to senior doctors. We do nurses. We do allied health, and we do it around Australia. Um, nowadays, the way that you can move into education is threefold. So you can go in as a teacher. 
So you can be a tutor, for example. So you can be a right. clinician who does tutoring within your specialty. And there's a lot of opportunities for that. Um, the other one is you can look at teaching as moving into an external component of teaching. So a simulation lab or an organization like the one that I work for. Um, and the third one is in research. So there's a lot of an it's a sort of opening up of medical education research. So understanding how medical education actually works, because we kind of were like, oh, we've got all this information we have to share. We want to make great doctors. But nobody thought about the fact that getting the information to the great doctors mm -hmm. was actually essential. And if you couldn't do that well, then it didn't matter how good your information was and it didn't matter how great the doctors were. And so they're starting to really focus on that. So that's a third way to get involved right. if you're not necessarily either skilled or naturally comfortable with teaching directly um, is to start in the education research space and learn about it and create some new information, you know, and through that, almost by default, you're going to be better at it. You know, it's very hard to do a research project on blood pressure medications without being better at like mm, prescribing blood yeah. pressure medication. And it's the same thing with education. It's the same thing with those kinds of skills. Okay. And is there any scope for full-time roles in medical education or would people do it as a, you know, a side career? Um, they have a choice. So okay. I suppose a lot of people don't want to give up clinical work. So they don't tend to um, pursue a full-time role in education. Um, you definitely can mostly through training organizations. So, okay. but um, the majority of work will be part-time. So most people would prefer you to still have some kind of clinical role or some kind of role that enhances your expertise as a teacher. Um, so your expertise is generally not, not going to be teaching itself. Though if it's medical education expertise, you might be doing research in that. But once again, you still probably won't be teaching five days a week. Um, so most people will do it as a, as a part-time, which is complemented by their expert field. Okay. And then talking about predictions of medical education, do you think it, it will be something um, that will be ongoing, ongoing need for that? Or is it possible that one day, you know, someone will record videos of, of, this, of themselves teaching and then one day... Um the teachers will be obsolete. So is there going to be a future in that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the difference between thinking that teaching is about giving information. I mean, number one, the information changes, so you will have to record new videos. Cool. <laughs> so there'll always be someone who needs to record a new video. But I think the second part is presuming that um, you actually you actually aren't imparting information. That's not teaching. That's That's you know, a transaction. You can do that on the web now. You don't need people. That's that's definitely true. I think what you do need in teaching, because teaching is about behavioural change and it's about changing motivation and understanding, is you need people that can contextualise the information to the individual. That's what a teacher can do that a website can't. Um, the other thing is who builds the websites, who designs the websites. So you need people who can start to do that. So that's the work I do with my ed tech companies. Is my, my, my expertise, I suppose, is in educational pedagogy. So thinking about how you teach, how you give that information to the student. The student, the different type of student will determine how you share it. And then what do you want them to learn? Therefore, that will change the activity. So the same information can be imparted in so many different ways depending on what you're trying to achieve. And that part, once again, at this point, still can't be done by, by a computer. At the time that it can be, it would be because someone had done so much research in it that we had so much data that we can create artificial intelligence. Yeah. And by that time, to be honest, hopefully we've, you know, spent so, we've used so many people doing amazing work, yeah. we'll be onto something different anyway. Or else the machines will take over. <laughs> well, iRobot, yes. <laughs> okay, now ironically, while we're talking about um, careers outside the hospital, we are recording in a hospital. And so we just had a bunch of uh, people walk past, very loud and very happy, probably about Christmas. But um, going back to, what we were talking about so your um, career in acting now you mentioned falling into acting itself was a little bit incidental just just doing what you love and opportunities came up um, 
how much of it overall do you think was being in the right place at the right time or um, just doing what you love versus actively seeking out roles? So sort of uh, opportunity versus um, proactiveness, mm. if that's a word. So acting is probably a funny one. You know, so in medicine, it's a very different question. You have to be proactive. You have to mm. be focused. Um, being in the right place at the right time is still helpful, um, but a very small part of it in acting you can work as hard as you like. You can be exceptionally talented. And I have some amazingly talented friends of mine who I would, I would say were much better than I am, um, who don't make money from acting, you know, and then you'll have people that you look at and you go, Jesus Christ, this person cannot even string a sentence together, but they make a lot of money from acting. So I would say that acting is a combination of things. It is a combination of commitment, and that can be passion, but it might not be. It might actually be a more mm. negative kind of version of like sort of this sort of, um, what's the word? Like a focus that becomes almost like a drug, like an addiction. So there's, there's two sides to how you might pursue acting and that commitment. Mm. Um, but the other part of it is definitely right place, right time. It's about always trying. It's just being there, just like going through the motions again and again and again until one day, hopefully the wall breaks and, you know, the flood comes. Yep. Um, and sometimes it's actually a lot about actually being accepting of the fact that you might get that one thing, that one job, and then nothing. So there's a huge amount of sort of self I suppose, um, self-support or sort of confidence or resilience, hopefully, um, or the other one is self-denial. So in acting, it's amazing. Everything has a flip side. There's the positive version of it and there's a the negative version of it. And I think that's why we see often in actors that sort of that really interesting character, you know, their personalities are often so extreme or so strong because they have to do that. Because like I said, one of my, one of my really good friends, she's an amazing actress, beautiful actress. I've never seen her do a bad performance in her life. And I don't think she has ever made money from a speaking role on television, ever. So I don't know how that happens. You know, there's no other industry where you could say that, that somebody was actually not very good at their job or was very, very good at their job mm -hmm. and they did or didn't make money. Okay, so you've managed to fit quite a lot of really cool things into one lifetime. When is the best time to start trying to do this kind of multitasking? Uh, you mean in terms of being a doctor? Um, let's say someone's either in medical school or already okay. a doctor. Yeah. So specifically in terms of how medicine works, um, you have two choices. You go two ways. One is you do it before you commit to anything. So you do it in your intern resident sort of period where you haven't started a training program. Um, however, if you do that, the likelihood of you coming back mm -hmm. and nowadays with all of the placements around, uh, the likelihood of you getting a job decrease. So I definitely would not recommend it during medical school unless you are ready to leave medicine. So it doesn't mean you have to leave medicine, but you need to be passionate. Mm -hmm. I think if it's during medical school and you're partway through medical school and you go and I had this other thing I'm really passionate about, yep. you need to talk to yourself and go, if this works to a point, am I willing to say medicine is off the table? Because if you are, then, then go for it. But there's a very high possibility when you try to come back, it's going to be much, much harder than you think. In terms of um, if you're talking about when you're an internal resident, that's a really good time to take some time off to see if you want to do something else. Well, you need to work out how long you're going to give yourself because then coming back can be much more difficult too. Um, but that's definitely one where you can sort of go off and try for a while, you know. The other option is you work through and you get to the end of your training. And then once you have that, 
that piece of paper that says you're a specialist, then you can go off and do other things. Mm. So really it comes down to what it is that you want to do else. Yeah. You know, so if if it can be done on the side, brilliant. If it can be done part-time, then you could also do part-time training, for example, and you could start doing a part-time type work where if you want to be an artist, you want to go to art class, that can be done one day a week, for example, or two days a week. Um, if it's something like acting, you need to do it young. You can't walk into the acting world when you're 45 and think that you're going to be able to sort of get there and just suddenly get work. And by then as well, you've also got this other entire life that you have to walk away from because that's the hardest part. Mm. It's not actually the thing you want to do. It's the thing you have to leave. Yeah. Which is why at the two extremes of medicine, when you don't know what it is yet, when you're a medical student or when you're a consultant, it's really hard to leave because you don't know what you're leaving or you know exactly what you're leaving. And actually it makes a lot of sense to stay. It's the part in the middle where people often feel that they can go away. And that's sort of, I think when, you know, as a JMO, for example, you're oh, I haven't decided yet. So, you know, give myself some time or as a trainee, I know what's happening. I know the structure of it. So I can, I can afford to take a bit longer and make the space. Um, and I think that's sort of, it's a very complex question and there is no right time. It depends on what the other thing is, is that you want to do. Yeah. And then there's family, which is incredibly <laughs> important. And that has no rules. Yeah. You have a family when you want to have a family. And that's the only answer I've got for that. Yeah. I guess to summarize, though, on the sort of general ends of the spectrum, um, when you haven't yet committed, that can be a time to try a lot of different things. Um, but the issue is, if you get to the end of your consultant years, sometimes people might feel they have put in all this sunk cost and, you know, it's really hard to walk away from something you've invested so much in. So that's just a, a general sort of human psychology aspect. So when we talk about um, sort of atypical careers, careers outside medicine, really unconventional sorts of things, some people will be really interested and then some people will think, oh no, this is not for me. So what kind of person or what kind of personality do you think that you're sort of speaking to? Um... You know, I actually don't think that it's necessarily personality type. I think it's probably the other thing and what that other thing is that mm -hmm. will determine which personality is, is doing what. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I actually believe doing clinical medicine and doing research are two completely different things. They're more obviously related and they're more accepted, but they're completely different. Um, I think the kind of person, though, that you're speaking to is somebody who has enough insight into themselves to kind of be aware that one role alone may not fulfill them but also may actually be um, destructive to their ongoing yeah. development so I think knowing that if you can work that out and you can actually say because for some people one role is enough yeah. and it's brilliant that that's the case um, I actually dislike the fact that in modern society we're all about the slashy like I'm the I'm the ultimate slashy and that's so cool and anyone who has one job their entire lives is a loser and I say that's the most most stupid thing I've ever heard if one person can find something that makes them happy, satisfied and comfortable for the rest of their lives and they never have to go through decision making to change, how on earth can somebody judge them as being a loser? That's like that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Right. I found where I belong. Done. Brilliant. Right. If you, if you say those words out loud, everyone grins because that's where you that's what we're all aiming for. So I don't think being a slashy is that cool. I think, though, that people that may feel that there are two things they require and the hospital system, medical system doesn't probably provide some of that nowadays as easily as it might have before. Um, there isn't outlets, aren't, you know, the time that you have available is limited, the structure by which they move people in training. Um, it makes it very difficult to create a second world for yourself. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of people will move into that sort of, I need to go part-time and do something else because I'm not allowed to do that within the sphere of, of working full-time in medicine. 
Okay, awesome. And we'll just finish off with one final question, which is what advice would you give to yourself or any um, young upcoming medical student or doctor? What do you think is the most important thing that you would like to tell people? Um, oh, that's easy. Um, <laughs> be authentic. I think that's, that's I say that to everybody I meet, like any medical student who's met me, and there's a few of you now, um, I always say that be authentic, be be truthful to yourself about yourself. I'm not saying go around and tell the rest of the world exactly how you feel all the time. <laughs> um, but if you can actually be honest with yourself first and foremost, if you can be vulnerable with yourself and you can be aware of what it is that matters to you and what affects you, it doesn't mean you have to follow that every time but you can make decisions that are going to make you feel the most comfortable with what you're doing next. So yes, go be authentic and be brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for your amazing life lessons um, and really good tips on decision-making in medical careers or just in general life. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Renee. No, you're welcome, Lily. Lovely to meet you. <laughs> yes, thank you all. And we look forward to chatting with everyone else in the next episode.